All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Speak to the Beak. I am Tim the Thirds, flying solo today. We actually had a lot of interesting things happening in the week of sports. Um, we had Matt Stafford get traded after we recorded the podcast last week, so I'll give you some quick thoughts on that. Um, we did have Nolan Arenado get traded in the uh, major leagues there over baseball. Uh, we're going to save that for right now. We are planning on some special roster previews coming up for spring training. Uh, we'll bring Keith back onto the show. He's kind of you know our baseball guy along with myself. So we're going to hold on Arenado, and then obviously we know Sunday is the Super Bowl. So we got some pretty big things going on. Let's start with Stafford, and then we'll get to the Super Bowl second. So first off, I did write about this, so if you did read, good for you. And before we even talk about Stafford, I need you to do a couple things. Number one would be follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Beak Brands, also you know, on every social media platform. You can follow me at Tim Ferdinand. The podcast is now on, you know, Google Podcasts, Spotify, you know, etc. Wherever you find your podcast, so definitely you can kind of hit a subscribe button there. Um, and obviously, like and share our content because we're trying to get our stuff out to you, and you know, give share it with someone that you might think will like it. Um, so that's kind of what we're looking at there in terms of our requests from you. Some of you actually do that, which is pretty sweet. Um, so yeah, that's that. So Matt Stafford, this is a great trade for the Rams. And don't let anyone tell you any differently. So the Rams traded two first-round picks and a third-round pick and Jared Goff for Matt Stafford. So what they essentially did was they traded a first and a third, let's say, for Stafford, and then they packaged Goff and his horrendous contract with a first-round pick just to get his salary off the books, which is a typical NBA move. You know, you have a salary that is just a complete disaster. You attach draft capital to it, get it off the get it off the payroll. Never really seen that done in football before. I mean, but the Rams are doing it. They traded picks to get rid of Brandon Cooks. They just straight up cut Todd Gurley to get his contract out of the way, and now they attach picks to Jared Goff to ship him out of town. Now. For me, the reason why this is a great trade for the Rams is twofold. One, you get a tremendous upgrade at quarterback. Tremendous. Matt Stafford's a top 10 quarterback in the league talent-wise. You're probably saying, oh, well, he hasn't won anywhere. Like, has anyone ever won in Detroit ever? I don't think so. Their two best players in franchise history retired at 30 years old because they just couldn't take it anymore. So for you to say that Stafford had to win in order to be successful is just... It's very strange. He can make every throw. Now, he probably does have some bad habits in him from playing hero ball all those years, but Sean McVay will get him to play in the system. The only quarterbacks I'd rather have over Matt Stafford, right, if you're thinking about it, in no particular order, but you got Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, I guess Tom Brady still if it's a one-year thing. Probably Josh Allen, maybe Justin Herbert, Deshaun Watson. And that's pretty much it. I'd rather have him over Lamar Jackson. I'd rather have him over every single quarterback in the draft, which is why the Panthers offered up the eighth pick, and we're going to talk about why the Lions are foolish for not taking that in a second. Um, 
So, I mean, even if you would rather have Lamar Jackson and Trevor Lawrence, he's still number nine. So he's still a top 10 quarterback. Um, so it's a great trade for them because now they have a quarterback that can actually run these boots and whatnot that Sean McVay actually likes to run. So that's number one. Number two is the draft picks they gave up aren't going to be that good. And anyone that tells you that all first-round picks are created equal in any sport doesn't really understand what they're talking about. The first round, like true first-round talents, normally run out somewhere from pick like 17-ish to maybe like 23, 24, 25, somewhere in that range. And that's being generous. Sometimes it's even before that. Or you guys have seen drafts where it's it's a one-player draft. Like, there's this guy, and then there's everybody else in terms of who's coming out behind them. So, the, the draft, you really don't know what you're getting. And if you're the Lions, you just traded for two picks that are likely going to be pick 25 or worse. Because no one on the Rams' defense is going anywhere. No one on the Rams' offense is going anywhere. And they just improved tremendously at quarterback. They made the playoffs every year McVay's been there except one. And they just missed out on the playoffs that year. So you're thinking, like, absolute best-case scenario is they make the playoffs and get knocked in the first round, which with that defense and now Matt Stafford, I don't see that happening. They just got to the divisional round with Jared Goff. And he if he actually played a good game, they would have beat the Packers. So I don't, I don't that doesn't make any sense, especially if it's true that the Panthers offered the number 8 overall pick for Matt Stafford. You just got to take that. It's so high up in the draft, you just have to take that. I know it's not two firsts, but you're getting a top 10 pick. You would have two picks inside the top 10, and let's be real. Detroit's going to be dreadful this year. So they're going to be picking in the top five again. And it's not like the Rams pick they got was this year either. It's the year after that and then the year after that. So it's like two and three years down the road. You gotta, you gotta take that. You know, that's like a discount for the Rams giving away future picks like that. Now the Rams haven't made a first-round pick that's still on their roster. Jared Goff was the last one since Aaron Donald. He's the only first-round pick they still have on their team. Slash, they haven't made a first-round pick. They won't be making a first-round pick for two or three years. So it doesn't really bother them to not have first-round picks because they kind of hit on their late-round picks all the time. Like Cooper Cup wasn't a high pick. Cam Akers wasn't a high pick. They have guys on their defense that weren't really high picks. Like, you know all the star names, but they have a lot of guys on there. Like, their entire offensive line is pretty much either free agent signings or late-round picks. Well, not, you know, not first- or second-round picks. So, not really sure where we're going with that. Um, But for the Lions, why are you taking Jared Goff? Serious, like, serious question. He is terrible. He's so, if you can't get it done with Sean McVay, who runs like the mo- this most simple offense ever, which would be the Kyle Shanahan, you know, stretch run scheme type of thing, how are you gonna be successful in Detroit with no, no pretty much no weapons? Because there's no way Kenny Galladay is coming back. Marvin Jones is a free agent. You have T.J. Hawkinson, which is nice, and DeAndre Swift, but that that's about it. You couldn't get it done with. Cam Akers, Cooper Cup, and Robert Wood. So what makes you think you're going to get it done with TJ Hawkinson, TJ Hawkinson, excuse me, DeAndre Swift, and like Quintez Cephas? It doesn't make any sense. Why would you take his salary? 
Like cap space is valuable. You can roll that over if you don't use it. And now here you are paying Jared Goff a fortune. Now I get it. He's going to be a bridge quarterback. And the reason why they did this trade is because people from the Rams front office ended up going over to Detroit as part of the new regime. So they pretty much did the Rams a favor by taking Jared Goff in this trade. It's just very strange. I'm not sure why you would willingly take Jared Goff, but I guess it is what it is. You got two first-round picks out of it. I guess the only good part is if you actually do this right this time and you actually develop the team around a bridge quarterback and then find your quarterback second, kind of like Miami did. They had a lot of pieces before they picked up Tua who I didn't want them to draft, but not the point. Um or, you know, you have the Chargers loaded roster. You pick up and insert Justin Herbert. You're going to think they're going to be a problem for a while. All right? That's how teams have success. You have a really good team around a rookie quarterback because the rookie quarterback is cheap. The rest of the team, you could kind of shell out money. I mean, look at the Chiefs. You have people on Twitter thinking the salary cap is fake because they have all these players because Mahomes' contract hasn't kicked in yet. They're not paying him anything you know, relative to other top quarterbacks. Now, eventually, when his cap hit does kick in, like I know at one point, it's like it's like more than like $45 million or something ridiculous. So, you know, it's going to catch up to him eventually. But if, if they were to win the Super Bowl on Sunday, which we're going to talk about in a second, is it worth it? Hell yeah, it is, of course. So I'm just not really sure what the Lions are doing. And they also have uh, Dan Campbell over there biting people's kneecaps off. So if you can't get it done with Sean McVay, who's like a genius and you're going to Dan Campbell, who doesn't even coordinate, and he that's that was his opening speech, I'm not really sure uh, how that's going to work there. So Rams, to me, clear winners. Detroit, I guess, TBD, depending on what happens with the picks. So let's shift gears to the Super Bowl here, because obviously that's why you're here if you're listening. Either that or you really like Matt Stafford, like my buddy Joe, shout out. Um, so here's what we're looking at. This is going to be a good game. I think it's going to be a good game. You have Tampa's defense against the Chiefs' offense, which is a lot of people are talking about. And I guess that's the main the main point here is the Bucks' front four. You know, Vita Vea, Dominican Sue, JPP, Shaq Barrett against the Chiefs' battered offensive line with now Mike Remmer starting at left tackle, Andrew Wiley kicking out the other tackle spot, I'm assuming Wisniewski's going to play at guard. You still have Allegretti. And then you have Ryder slash Kilgore, whoever, you know, it's going to be Ryder most likely at center. That's not the best offensive line there. Um, so we're missing, well, not we. I mean, obviously we because I'm a Chiefs fan. But you know what I mean. The Chiefs are missing three offensive linemen that started on their team in the Super Bowl last year in Fisher, Schwartz, and Tardif. Uh, Fisher was terrible in that game, so and every time he plays a pass rusher that can just bully him, he's awful anyway, so Remmers can't be that much worse. Um, Schwartz is the big loss, but they've been playing without him since like week five or six, and then Tardif opted out. He's not even playing. He didn't play a snap, so they've been without him all year. Now, the only way this game can get ruined for the Chiefs in that particular matchup is Mike Remmers on Mahomes' blind side, just gets absolutely obliterated like he did in his previous Super Bowl when he played for the Panthers. Now you're probably asking why I bring that up. Because Von Miller took him to church, as they say. 
he'd destroy him. He made him look stupid. If that happens, the Chiefs have no chance of winning this game. Now, is JPP right now as good as vintage Von Miller? No, he's not. But, it's you know, is Mike Remmers that's st- still the same guy? I don't know. It's possible. Everyone's trying to talk up about how the Buccaneers, you know, linebackers and secondary matches up with the Chiefs offense. I, I can just make that really short for you. They don't. Because no one does. It doesn't matter who you have. You, you can't. You're not going to stop that. You know, if you bracket Tyreek Hill, Kelsey's going to kill you. If you bracket Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill's going to kill you. If you try to take away both, you're now leaving Sammy Watkins, McCall Hardman, and then a running back one-on-one with your DBs and your extra linebacker. And they're going to win a majority of the time on those matchups. And I said it, the second McCall Hardman was drafted, the only reason he was drafted, now at the time it was as a Tyreek Hill, you know, potential replacement in case, you know, some stuff went down in that current situation there. But I said it, he was drafted specifically to beat the Patriots. And you're probably thinking, why am I bringing up the Patriots? The Chiefs are playing Tampa. Because I'd be willing to bet money. Tampa comes out in Belichick's defense. They're going to play cover one. And that post safety is going to play a million yards off the ball, and they're going to double Tyree kill the entire game. Because the last time they played the Kansas City Chiefs earlier this year, Tyree kill had 13 catches for 270 yards and three touchdowns. It was like you're playing Madden on rookie. He was just open every play. They don't have any DB that can guard him one-on-one, so you, you can't try. If Todd Bowles comes out in the regular Todd Bowles defense, which is we're going to play straight man and blitz a lot, Tampa might as well stay home because it'll be less embarrassing to forfeit the game than it will to actually show up to the stadium again and let that happen. So I'm assuming they're going to be on high alert for Tyreek Hill. Now let's bring this back to McCall Hardman. The Chiefs had trouble beating that defense before Hardman showed up because what Belichick would do is he would put his number two corner and his safety, which is one of the McCordys, on Hill. And then he would put Stephon Gilmore on Sammy Watkins, and then he would just bracket Kelsey over the middle. And the Chiefs didn't really have another option in that like weird time, like post-Kareem Hunt, but pre-McCall Hardman, in order to like make something really happen. And you saw it twice against the Patriots in that in Mahomes' first year as a starter. Kareem Hunt was there for the first game. Um, the Chiefs were down. They only had nine points at halftime in the first game. They ended up erupting in the second half. Um, and then the next game, which is the AFC Championship game, Belichick did whatever possible to make sure that Tyreek Hill did nothing in that game, and he was kind of a non-factor. And the Chiefs had a hard time outside of Sammy Watkins actually beating straight man-to-man. And since that time, you've seen Hardman catch some pretty long passes against various teams, but including the Patriots. In his first game against the Patriots, he caught like a 40-something yard touchdown against man-to-man coverage because if you're going to double both of the Chiefs' top two guys, you're leaving Watkins and Hardman one-on-one with people that probably should not be guarding them one-on-one because they don't really have the depth, and no team has the depth to guard the, the Chiefs' man across the board like that. So if, the, if Tampa can't get home with four, which is back to my original point, they have no chance of winning this game because that means they're going to have to send extra guys, and if you send extra guys against the Chiefs, you're going to lose. And I don't think Tampa can just show up to the stadium and just start playing zone like that because that's not what they do. 
Todd Bowles is one of those guys where he just plays his system, and we've seen that with, you know, against the Ravens and against other teams that just sit in there. Like, you're going to do what you do. Like, that's fine. We're going to shred you. And, you know, people are bringing up the Super Bowl last year. The 49ers defense last year is better than the Tampa Bay's defense this year, and the Chiefs scored 31 points, and that was with them taking a nap for three quarters. Now, they didn't play well in the, in the beginning of the game. That's what I mean, taking a nap. And once they woke up, though, they erupted. So you, you can't just sit in something the entire game. Where the game is actually going to be one that most people aren't talking about, but some people are, it's actually going to be, which sounds weird, really weird to say, it's going to be all, it's all on Tom Brady. Because you know the Chiefs are going to put up 30 points because they put up 30 points every game. And... Mahomes losses, the other team has averaged 36 points a game. So that should tell you something. You're not going to stop them. You could slow them down. You can make it difficult for them. You could do what Buffalo did the first time, which is drop everyone in the coverage and let them run the ball all day. But then you don't you don't have the ball, so like, are you really helping yourself? You, know, you could try what other teams tried, which is we're going to stop all this short stuff to Kelsey and hope we can guard Tyree Kill deep, which you, you might as well start praying because it's not going to happen. You could have Jesus Christ himself play DB. He wouldn't be able to run with this guy. So we're, the game's going to be when it's on Tom Brady because they need to put up 30-something points if they want to win this game. And my only worry as a Chiefs fan is this. If Brady comes out and pretends he's playing for the Patriots, the Chiefs are in trouble. And what do I mean by pretend he's playing for the Patriots? Those little shallow crossers to intermediate crossers and dumping it to the running back out of the backfield. You can't stop that. It, it doesn't really matter like who you, what your defense is. You can't stop that with Tom Brady anyway. Because, and you know, it's all yak and I get it. It's like missed tackles, but it's all schemed right. And it's low risk throw. So you never, he never actually turns it over. When he's doing those things, like, remember all those times he'd hit Edelman on, like, those seven-yard crossing routes? You know what I mean? And I get it, Tom Brady has been able to throw deep this year. Listen, if I'm if I'm the Chiefs, we're playing press man-to-man. We could play, you know, single high or cover zero. It doesn't really matter. We're making you throw the ball deep. There's no way we're letting you throw the ball underneath and just kill us all day. It's not happening. And if you've watched the Buccaneers' past couple of games... You've had, he threw three picks against the Packers. He should have threw multiple picks against the Saints, but they can't catch a cold on defense, apparently. You had, he played Washington, like, all right, not a playoff team. And they, even still, they were hanging around in the game the entire time because Heineke was making some, you know, off-schedule plays there. Then you have the games before that. You had the, the Rams Super Bowl. He looked terrible. The Titans game last year, he looked terrible. In the AFC Championship game against the Chiefs two years ago, he threw two picks and one inter- uh, one touchdown, and it would have been three picks if D. Fords was outside. So, like, if you make Tom Brady throw it deep at this point in his career, you have a good chance to beat them. It doesn't really matter who their weapons are because he's just not as good throwing the ball deep as he used to be. And I get his numbers are still good, but you can't just let him shred you underneath. You just got to play press. Now... The other thing is, which is common knowledge, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it, is if you're the Chiefs, you need to get home with four guys because you need everyone else in coverage. Like, we know that. That's how you beat good quarterbacks. But the real key is going to be Chris Jones because Tom Brady 
doesn't like interior pressure. You could have the best edge rushers in the world. It doesn't really bother him that much because he always steps up into the pocket. When you can take away that ability to step up into the pocket, that's when Tom Brady's terrible. Like, if you look back to the first Super Bowl against the Giants when the Patriots were undefeated, and Steve Spagnuolo, who is now the D coordinator for the Chiefs, put Justin Tuck inside to apply interior pressure, he gave Brady Fitz the entire game. Now, obviously, that D-line was insane between Osium and Yura, Justin Tuck, Michael Strahan, etc. Um, and they even had rotational guys that were good. But it was that interior pressure that Brady doesn't like. And how did... This is a weird... <laughs> How did the Jets beat the Patriots when they had Rex Ryan? Now, obviously, they had two lockdown corners in Darrell Rebus and Antonio Cromartie, but Rex would send pressure up the middle. That the the you know outside pressure doesn't bother Brady as much. He does not like interior pressure, and this this is pretty much why the Chiefs are paying Chris Jones twenty something million dollars a year. This is the game we need you. You're really good at creating interior pressure. It's just you, Aaron Donald, and Fletcher Cox are the only three guys that consistently do it in the entire league, and you're really good at it against a guy who does not like interior pressure. And if you're going to get to Tom Brady, I would say the weakness of their offensive line is at right guard slash center. You can get home there. And if Chris Jones if Chris Jones gets home a couple of times, it's over. Because you, we've all seen Brady fold when he get when he's getting hit with that interior pressure. He does not like it. So how do the Bucks counter that? I think, like I said before, if they come out and it looks like a Patriots game where they're like running the ball and hitting these little dink and dunk passes that you can't force in the Chiefs to tackle in space, which they are terrible at, they have they have a good chance to win the game. So the keys to the Bucks, I would say, get home with four. And pretend you're the New England Patriots and not the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If you're coming out to try to prove a point that you could throw deep, you're going to lose. If you're the Chiefs, the keys to the game would be get the ball out of Mahomes' hands quickly so that you don't take these stupid sacks with a lot of backup linemen in. And number two would be you got to stop the run. Because you can't let Brady get going into a rhythm. you got to get to him early. And the Chiefs did that last time. They played Tampa week 12 or 13 earlier in the year. The other thing is, Steve Spagnuolo has been blitzing like a maniac the past couple of games. And I think he's going to continue that this week. Uh, Quick little nugget here. Tom Brady only completes 42% of his passes when he's pressured. And the last time they played, the Chiefs blitzed a ton against the Buccaneers. And it was really giving them fits. Now, I'm not taking too much away from that game. Because there's no way that game will be duplicated. Like, there's no way Tampa leaves Tyree Kill one-on-one like for a quarter and a half. It's just not going to happen. Um, but that part, because it's a fundamental part of the Chiefs' defense, is getting getting home, sending extra guys, cutting the crossers, and playing sticky man-to-man coverage. And you saw last week against Buffalo, whose receivers are pretty good between Diggs, Beasley, John Brown, Dawson Knox is a solid you know receiving tight end. They were all over those guys. Diggs did nothing. Beasley was all right. John Brown did nothing, you know, compared to their regu- you know relative stats that they normally have. That that's the key right there. So, and on top of that, let's just be real. The Chiefs are the better team. They're better at quarterback. They have more top, you know, receiving options. 
They're better in the secondary. I don't even think that's debatable. They're better in the secondary. Front four, Tampa's got a better front four. Okay. Tampa's offensive line right now is probably better because the Chiefs don't have anyone. And now I get it. Like, you know, the game's won in the trenches. That's nice. But to be fair, the Chiefs haven't had Tardy for Schwartz all year. So it's really only like they're missing Fisher because they haven't played with those guys the whole season. And between, you know, Derek Nottie, Frank Clore, Chris Jones, Mike Pinnell, K-Pass, and a couple other guys like Wharton on the defensive line, they're not, like obviously Clark and uh, Chris Jones are your two big guys there, but they have guys that can get to the quarterback. Where the Chiefs are really weak as linebacker, but what's really helped was Juan Thornhill coming back into his own after ACL surgery, so that because he's been playing center field. So now Spagnuolo's been able to move Dan Sorensen and Tyron Matthew, specifically Matthew, all over the place, and it's really giving opposing quarterbacks problems. He's the best defensive player in the secondary in this game for either team, hands down. Now, I saw something that the Buccaneers are going to try to cover Travis Kelsey with Levante David. That's a joke. You can't cover Travis Kelsey with a linebacker. you got to put a safety on him. But do you really want Winfield or rookie on Travis Kelsey? Probably not. So I would assume Kelsey's going to get the bracket, which is why I said they're going to come out in the Patriots' defense, double brackets, and just leave Hardman and Watkins one-on-one. So that's kind of what we're looking at. Now, the other thing was, which I wrote about, this is a legacy game for Mahomes and Tom Brady. We'll go Tom Brady first. If Brady wins this game, he would have a 3-2 advantage head-to-head over Mahomes, including beating him in the AFC Championship game and beating him in the Super Bowl. He would also have a lead 7-1 in Super Bowl rings, which is pretty much insurmountable. Like, no one's coming back from that. Even if Mahomes won five rings, they would hold it against him that Brady beat him head-to-head. So this is why this is huge for Tom Brady. Because you could close the door on any other quote-unquote goat conversation in football. It's Tom Brady, that's it. For Mahomes, though, if you win this game, you'd be 2-for-2 in the Super Bowl in your first two Super Bowl appearances. You'd have two appearances in three seasons, and you should have three, but not the point. You'd be 2-for-3 in making the Super Bowl. You'd have beaten Brady 3-2 to the other way now in your favor. You'd have a Super Bowl win over Brady... And now the ring counts only six to two. Now, obviously, that's a lot. Six to two still. Like, he'd have to do some serious winning to catch up in the ring department. But if you're Mahomes or anyone watching the game, it's like clear and apparent that you're better than Tom Brady. You have a better arm, you have more mobility. You're more accurate down the field. Like, you can do things that Brady has never been able to do. And not even Brady supporters can argue that point. So it's really like if you win this game, it's, and you win like two more rings, let's say it's six to four Super Bowls, but Mahomes keeps playing how he's playing, is there really going to be a debate as to who the better quarterback is? I don't think so. Obviously, that's counting on a lot from Mahomes. You're asking for potentially three more rings and to keep playing at this ridiculous pace that he's playing at. But I'm just saying, hypothetically, that's just something to look out for there. And for Spags, if you stop Tom Brady two times in a Super Bowl, that probably gets him into the Hall of Fame. 
as D coordinator, part of this Chiefs unit. Tyron Matthew will get in if he wins the, if they win the Super Bowl. Travis Kelsey will get in. Now, obviously, you have guys on Tampa who are shoo-ins already. Antonio Brown's going to get in. His numbers are too good. Gronk's going to get in. Tom Brady's going to get in. Right? But for the Chiefs, they have a lot of guys that could be pushed into the Hall of Fame conversation as the core players of this team. So I just wanted to throw that out there. So, obviously, if you're listening to this, you're probably waiting for my final score prediction. Uh, we actually posted that in writing on you know the website there. I'm going to go with some type of score that looks like Chiefs 33-ish, Tampa 23-ish. I think Tampa keeps it close, but in the end, they just don't have the firepower to keep up with the Chiefs. I think they get desperate, and they start forcing the ball downfield. That's going to lead to a couple of picks, assuming the Chiefs can catch them. Because if Brady throws three picks against them like he did the Packers, it's a wrap. Chiefs are going to win easily. So you just got to capitalize on your mistakes there. If I was going to guess a score, if Tampa was going to win the game, it would be on one of those last, you know, minute drives by Brady, kick a field goal, and go home. So it's going to be close. Spread's currently three and a half. I'll take that if I'm betting the Chiefs. I like the Chiefs to cover that. I don't think it's going to be a field goal game if the Chiefs win. It'll be a two-possession lead or, like, closer to eight points. So that's what we're looking like, 33-23, give or take a couple. So thank you for joining me. Like I said at the top of the show here, follow us on Instagram at Beak Brands and Twitter and Facebook. You can follow me at Tim Ferdinand. Obviously, football will be over, but we'll be coming in with draft coverage, free agency. We have spring training coming up soon. Hockey's really getting into the thick of things here. Same with the NBA. So we'll have plenty of content for you. And obviously, if you give us some feedback, let us know what you think. We'll give you more of what you like. So that's what we got here for Super Bowl weekend, and I will—I won't talk to you. You'll hear me again next week. Mm-hmm.